0: Have you ever fooled yourself? Have you ever talked yourself into something that you thought was a great idea that later ended up being a disaster? (laughs) Have you ever deceived yourself? Think about that. So for me, I remember not long after getting my license and all that stuff that finally I was able to drive something other than that big tank of a truck and I now got to drive my dad's small little sports car, which he let me have the keys to way too early somehow the whole rationale of you don't get caught, it's not illegal, somehow that sunk into my 17-year-old brain. And I think it was probably some of the prodding of my peers. Uh, it was probably a combination of just way too many YouTube videos, uh, way too many movies of fast cars. And I just remember driving like crazy and just feeling like, Oh, this is great, and in fact, this is probably a good thing. I mean, that's what the car's made for until I was just down the street from here at Islands and right over by Renton Technical College, I still vividly remember it, sliding around the corner like you see in the movies, just totally on top of the world, this is perfect. No, out of control and boom, right into the sidewalk, popped both my back tires, which I still don't exactly know how that happened. And we're not far there from an auto body shop I pulled into, I was with my friend and he was like, whoa, you have to call your parents suddenly it didn't seem like such a good idea. Now my parents and I laugh about that years later. It took a long time to laugh about that. <laughs> but have you, have you deceived yourself? Have you gotten a spot where you convinced yourself something you knew was wrong was actually okay? I mean, you can get to a spot where it's much more serious and maybe nuanced than that. I, I had a friend that called me uh, just a, uh, not long ago, a few months ago. Um, and this recent call was a long call, and he was just in a broken spot and just really in a tough situation. And basically at the end of this long, complicated, nuanced call, his, his base question was, can I get a divorce? And I realized there's so much laced into that in detail, but for him, each situation is unique. For him, he'd been married for multiple years and the romance of the beginning of the marriage was no longer there. And he felt like, I, doesn't God want me to be happy? and his mind had talked himself into a spot that I think God really thinks I should get a divorce so that I can be happy. And he was looking for me to validate that. Because so much in our culture would say, well, well, yeah, we want to be happy. But he talked himself into that place. Isn't it amazing how when our hearts desire something, our heads become incredible lawyers and convince ourselves of the thing we would never do or say is foolish in somebody else that we should be able to do and it's okay? It's amazing how that starts to happen. And it doesn't matter where it is in our life from trivial to big. These these desires in our hearts, how do we evaluate whether they're healthy or not? How how do we know? We're going to be looking at a passage today that's going to unpackage that. There's going to be a whole lot in this passage that is um, all over the place, but it all starts to center around that. I hope we can walk away with that helpful information is looking at what do we do do in this place with desires? How, How do we know if desires are healthy or not? We're going to be looking at that. So open your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll pick up in verse 17 and read through the end of the chapter and and look at this together. Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 17, says this. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What an incredible passage! I've just enjoyed reading through this over and over and over. Every time I read through it, I feel like God works on a different part of my heart to to live a different part of this passage. And so we're going to walk through it. And if you look at this passage, verses 17, that opening section down to uh, about 24, it just kind of, there's some cultural things going on here that we're going to just dive into and understand so we can really apply this into our life. And then you get to the the end of this passage, and, and really, it's that cultural setting so much like ours, we just read it and do it. I mean, that, it just walks right through it. So we're gonna go verse by verse. Let's look at verse 17. And here's, here it starts right at the top. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Okay, so what just happened here? Did, did Paul just be a jerk to the Gentiles? <laughs> like, what did they do to deserve this? Right? Like, isn't he the one that is supposed to be ministering to them? What is he doing? Well, this... This here Gentile term is this broad term. It's not calling out, it's not a racist term towards one specific ethnic group or anything, but it's a, it's a broad term that he's using to encapsulate the culture around all of those that are outside of the Jews, those that aren't Christ followers. It's this broad sense. And we'll see here, even in this passage, that it's those that are darkened of mind. And so this Gentile is used for those that are in reference to that feudal paganism, paganism that permeated through Ephesus. And so this, this Gentile, he says, they're, they're futile in their thinking. They're, they're darkened in their minds. And so I, I want to talk about what was going on in this time where he would say the Gentiles were so futile, futile in their thinking. What was the culture like at that time? Well, there's a, uh, an image here we just wanted to show you from the location of where uh, in Ephesus the, the temple of Diana, uh, or the temple of Artemis was. And, and this flyover here is, is not going to be one of the more impressive locations that we see. Um, but, but it is Still pretty cool. Yeah, it's still pretty cool. The the ruins there is the temple that was built, and it's the Temple of Diana. It was the, the Roman name. Temple of Artemis was the Greek name in mythology. Same thing. But in this location, it just reminds us, you can go there and look at the ruins. This isn't just a Harry Potter film that's interesting, but this is an actual location with people that are being written about. In this location, we're looking at the ruins of the temple That was built in 300, it was completed in 350 BC. Took about 200 years to complete. Once it was completed, it was about four times the size of the Pantheon. So massive. It only stood as it was originally constructed for about six years. It was destroyed on the, the year that Alexander the Great was born. It was reconstructed afterwards and continued to be a center of commerce, a center of mythology and religion in this area. And so some of the the mythology that built up around it was that this this temple actually descended from the clouds and was placed there fully constructed. Amazing how they forgot that it took 200 years to build. (laughs) When you build your own and make your own God, you can make up its origins too. So there's amazing things here. But what's what's written here is, is Paul saying there is a futile thinking that is happening. The way that the Gentiles were basing so much of what they were doing in Ephesus on this cult, this religion that was, had nothing to do with fact, was all mythology. The commerce of that area, there was idols that were purchased and sold. And so the Christians comes to faith in Christ and they step away from that and they step out of that and suddenly there's a financial crisis in the town because so many people are coming to faith in Jesus and they're stepping out of this, this cult. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's disrupting this economy here. It's, it's fascinating to see this happen. But he calls it futile. He calls it futile. And this is, this is significant. They're futile in their minds. And he goes on to say what that builds out. Anything that's not built and rested on Jesus Christ ends up being futile. And so what happens is he's saying that you used to base your life on the cult that's happening here. And as you poured your life, your energy, your dreams, your hopes, your future, your investment, your meaning for life, your moral assertions, all into what was based on this mythology, it's like dropping it into a vacuum. Because there's nothing under that that really holds it. It's futile. And in contrast, you see, In the Christian worldview, we see in Proverbs 1, that we build our foundation on God. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Any knowledge that denies God is knowledge that doesn't have a moral assertion to land on the beginning of knowledge starts with the fear of the Lord. It's where it starts. And so this, this word fool in Proverbs is not meant to be evil or mean or pejorative. It's not meant to be an insult. Instead, fool simply means spiritually darkened. So eventually it becomes an insult, but, but fool, originally through Proverbs, it's a spiritual condition where you ignore God. And so instead, we don't want to be in that place. We want to move into what it means to follow Christ. And so so it says in the very next verse, the futility of their minds is developed. What happens? Look at verse 18. It says, they are darkened in their understanding. Their, their minds become darkened. Then they then become alienated from the life of God. As you see that in the verse. So your spiritual condition is impacted. It's due to their hardness of the heart. They have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to every kind of practice. Lust has no end. It doesn't stop. It just goes and goes and goes. It's greedy. Romans um, chapter one says very similar thing. It's a, it builds out the same progression where it's seen. This darkness of mind moves into every kind of evil practice. Romans chapter one, starting verse 18, says this very same progression. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Once again, it's highlighted, futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, Resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And so, Paul, writing to the Ephesians, writing to the Romans, just sees this darkness of mind that just leads off into horrific sin and horrific greed that isn't to be satisfied. But he doesn't leave us there. He's writing to a church and says, but that's not you. He's like, that's not you. So look what he says in verse 20. But that's not the way you learned Christ. He says, let's let's contrast that and let's say, no, verse 21, assuming that you've heard about him we're taught him as the truth is in Jesus. He's like, that's not the way that you learned because early in this church's history, Paul would have been there proclaiming the gospel, speaking about Jesus, calling them to holiness, and they came to faith in Jesus. And he said, this is what you've done. You've come to faith in Jesus. Don't, don't base your life on the fertility of the Gentile thinking in this region of what they believe you should be doing. Don't do that. That leads to places you don't want to go and sin that is inescapable. He said, no, you came to faith in Christ. You came to faith in Christ. Base your life there. So in verse 22, how, how do we do that? It says, this is what it means, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Look at the beginning of that, your old self. Your old self. This is, this is unique to Christianity. Your old self. Your old person, the way you used to be. You're no longer that way, but Christian, if you're in Christ, you, an old self can speak into, but you, that is not you anymore. Be who God has now created you to be. Now, put off the old self. It's lying to you. It has deceitful desire. Modern Seattle, ancient Ephesus, modern Seattle has absolutely zero idea of what a deceitful desire is. All right, we can laugh about some of those in the opening of driving and things like that, but, but really a deceitful desire is not something that's a part of a vocabulary as a culture. Instead, all desires are good, or pleasure is our God, or if you crave it in your bones, then it's the destiny of your soul. If you're simply a strand of DNA dancing to the desires within you, and you must go with that tune. Deceitful desires don't make sense in our culture, and yet we see this in horrific ways the way it impacts. If you'll have somebody married for years, somebody who just called me, who then will leave their spouse and go off and marry somebody else and you'll see certain groups of people celebrating that on Facebook and these different things or, or you'll see a woman leave her husband and they'll celebrate it and go, finally you got out of that horrible situation and way to be free and, and these desires just raise up and there's no way to evaluate good or bad or it's just we just have a desire and we lead into it and so our culture says it's okay based on futility of thinking, not based on... Christ. Put off your old self, those deceitful desires which will run us any which direction. Imagine, imagine this. Here's a proposal, a radical idea. Some desires are deceitful. <laughs> They're sinful, and we don't step into those behaviors. And now's not the time for us to all air them here and then speak about specific ones, but dis- our desires in us can be deceitful and lead us towards sin. And so we need to put off our old self. And when we feel like we need revenge and that's the desire of our heart and somebody next to us says, yeah, you deserve that. No, maybe there's a desire there that's deceitful. We have to be careful about our desires and where they can lead us and put us to. So what do we do? Look what he says next, verse 23. It says, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I love this. First, or I mean 2 Corinthians says it beautifully in verse chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're putting on a completely new version of yourself. This isn't taking the furniture in your house and just rearranging it a little bit. It's blowing up the house and starting fresh and letting Jesus rebuild from that place. That's why the biblical metaphors of of death and then life show up. That's why in baptism, when we watch somebody get dunked in water and come out, what we're witnessing quite literally in that picture of what's taking place is a funeral and a birth right at the same time. Because it's a death of old deci- desires and ways of living and a new creation that, that shows up right in front of us. And it's not something that, that we do, but it's a spiritual initiation of what God does. We are a, a new creation. You aren't that fool, that liar, that cheat, that slander, that evil person. Don't live in those past practices as you have, but instead live in your identity in Christ, what he calls you to be as we look at scriptures, he points us to So are you, are you in a spot of feeling like you're spiraling and you can't get over it and you're just stuck and you're wondering what's happening? Why can't I just be satisfied? Why is the the lust not being satisfied as I continue to do things? Maybe you're in a spot where you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're in a spot where the only thing that can really take you from death to life is the gospel to say, believe in Jesus, that he is the one who's died for our sins, that I can step into newness of life to be a new creation. Maybe for some of you here, you are a believer, you are a Christian and you desire to live that way and yet you get tricked by deceitful desires and Paul's writing to you to go, put off those things, those don't define you. Live in new creation, live as you are called to be. And so look, look what he says, he starts telling us, here's what it looks like, here's what it looks like. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, putting away that futile thinking, putting away those ways of the world that would influence my basis. Instead, here's what we should do. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now it starts getting real practical, okay? So Pastor Jesse's talked the last few weeks about um, members of one another. And if, if you're just catching up on this, and it sounds a little funny right here, but really it's the sense of which each one of us in the family of Christ is it's like a body. And so some of us are gonna be more visible than others. Some of us are gonna be kind of smelly inside of the shoes because we're toes. But you can't say to the toe, yeah, I don't need you because you're the nose up here. Like, just because I can smell you better. Okay, I got a little sideways on that. But if you, uh, if you can't pick on one another, Because we all need one another, and so you're members of one another. So let's take that into our life together. Mindful of these deceitful desires, mindful of the challenge of trying to live for Christ and the challenge of that, the places that we should be most at home, most loved is in Christian community. Because what other group of people understand the depravity and the deceitfulness and the difficulty it is to live in this world and follow Jesus? What other group of people understand the level that we do of one another? What other group of people understand the incredible grace of Jesus that initiates and pulls us into his family? Nobody else. So what better place than on a Thursday night, than on a Wednesday night to pull together with some couples and to sit together and have conversation? about how you're walking in that dating relationship and the challenges that there are and the realities of things. For that, married couple to talk about things, not in a Pollyanna kind of just general, yep, this was a difficult week. Yeah, we we know, (laughs) okay? But how do we in those places speak truth? I I love that this is a, a candor, an ability to be able to call out the beauty we see in one another, the ability to speak truth and hard things to one another as well. I think about this personally, this verse has been convicting in my own heart um, these last couple of weeks, because I've had a, a good friend of mine just a few weeks ago come to me um, and, and he spoke incredibly graciously and incredibly directly about an area of my life that there was what he called sin, and I called not sin. And he's like, No, Nick, I need to bring this before you. And he was so gracious. And this last week, as I was studying this passage, I just kept thinking, and he's right. And I had to call him this week and say, thank you for pointing that out. How many of us have people in our life that will call sin, sin in our life, but do it in a way that's so annoying, even if they're right, we don't wanna do anything about it? <laughs> like, what we'd need are those other people that do it so graciously that you can't do, you can't get upset with them because they're so gracious in it. But all you can do is just look in the mirror and let God work on your heart. That, that's what this verse is talking about. Put away falsehood. It's just a waste of time. We're members of one another. We have such a vested interest in each other's spiritual condition and growth. Let us speak that truth with our neighbors. Let us do that in powerful ways. <clears throat> verse 26, he goes right on. Told you, it's it very practical. <laughs> it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry and do not sin. I love that he put those right next to each other because for me, anger usually equals sin. But did you see that? It doesn't. It doesn't. Be angry and do not sin. Let me think about Jesus' life. I'll use him as an example because he's the one I can feel like when you use anger, he's probably the best one that handles that that dichotomy of obviously never sinning in that. There's a couple different instances. Probably the most famous one you can think of in Jesus' life is when he steps in and sees the temple courts just littered and turned into a marketplace in a, in a horrific way. And what does he do? In, in a righteous anger, he clears his father's house in such a way that puts it back into a spot of worship. His anger towards his father's house being used incorrectly cleanses it and is beautiful. Children aren't permitted to come to him. He says, no, let the children come to me, his heart for the least of these, for children to come hear the gospel. In Mark chapter three, you see a passage where it calls out Jesus' anger. And the result there in Mark chapter three is a man is healed. God's, Jesus' anger clears the temple, causes righteousness to flourish. Jesus' anger heals people. What does your anger do? Here's why the verse says, how powerful is scripture? Don't let the sun go down in your anger. There's a time frame. Keep it limited. That's wise. And what's the next phrase? Give no opportunity to the devil. That is a great self-identifying question. In a moment of anger, the action I'm about to do, is it like Jesus, self-controlled? Does I have a whole resolve in the end of it? Does it give opportunity to the devil? Just ask that question. Does my action give opportunity to the devil? If the answer is yes, don't do it. It's just a self-reflection right there. Paul's going, don't give opportunity to the devil. That you would be angry in a moment and your explosion caused more harm in you trying to be helpful. But look at Jesus, the way that he moved and used anger in a way that didn't cause sin. Now, it, it continues on. Verse 28, and let the thief no longer steal, but, re- but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I love it. This thief has a testimony. If he's thinking about somebody, they've been stealing and now they're contributing. So if you're in here and you just robbed a bank, <laughs> so hey, repent uh, and please don't steal anything here. You can take the Bibles. Those are free. Uh, don't steal. But beyond that, many of us will probably think, well, I wouldn't do that. I'm not a thief. But think about that. Do, is my mentality one of take, 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 how do I hold on to? Or do I live generous with those around? I mean, that starts to apply to a lot more of us. Yes, don't be a thief, but work hard and contribute. Also, don't be so close-fisted that as we head towards the holidays, you become the Grinch right? Is, is there a way to be generous, to recognize our lives are stewards, to invest in, in the church and what's taking place in this place, but also look around your community. There are spots to be generous in your workplaces, in your families, in your neighborhoods, in ways that impact people because of how Christ has impacted you, and that creates a testimony that Paul is calling for Christians to do. When we base our life on Christ, not the futility thinking of the world, when we base our life on Christ, generosity becomes a hallmark, Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Words, words are powerful. There's a whole lot of scripture passages I felt like I could pull right into here. Um, but instead, I'm gonna ask, would you pull out your phone? Everybody, pull out your phone. If you didn't bring your phone, that's Okay. Which is kind of funny to say, but yes. But pull out your phone. Now, here, we're going to apply this verse. I this is going to be a challenge, but you're going to apply this verse. If everybody's going to have their phone out, some of you are just going to hold it up and you're not going to do anything. But others of you, this verse is a spot that you need to text somebody. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Some of you need to text somebody and, and say, I'm sorry. Some of you need to set a reminder on your phone for later tonight when you're out of here that that goes off at about eight o'clock when you're home that says, call, fill in the blank. And when that alarm goes off an hour from now, that's gonna be an opportunity to reconcile. Some of you, when you pull out your phone, usually it's really easy to click, 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 send on social media and there's corrupting typing that goes out. So right now, some of you need to open up your social media. Please do this, I know that sounds crazy. But you need to open up your social media and go through and purge things. Purge things that that are not helpful, that don't build each other up. So don't let time waste. How cool would it be as Christians in our community that as we head towards an election season, as we hit all the social issues happening, all those different things, that our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors would wish there were more Christians on their feed to be an encouragement to them. How beautiful would that be? So, purge your social media. Let your encouraging fingers type those things out. Let the words of our mouths not corrupt. There's an application of this passage that some of us need to really step into. Verse 30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. What does grieve the Holy Spirit mean? It's beautiful in this passage and sad. They would bring grief to the Holy Spirit. There'd be a saddened Holy Spirit. It reminds us of the personal nature of the Holy Spirit. A person within the Trinity who can be saddened and given grief. I think of it this way. I, I have two kids and, uh, and have you ever experienced this where you've seen somebody else argue and it causes you grief? I think of three nights ago, Uh, my son went into my uh, daughter's bedroom and went into her backpack after school and found her favorite eraser. How do they find those things, by the way? Uh, But found it, Uh, this really cool eraser that had some superhero thing on it. He comes to the dinner table, has his plate of food, sets it right on front of his plate, very proudly. I didn't really know what was going on. Uh, Daughter's in the kitchen getting dinner, comes over, sits down. We pray, feeling good as a family, nice little chatting there. And then she sees it. (laughs) Matthias! He grabs it, smiles, and like, you're not gonna get it. And then I can see, she's gonna get up and run around and tackle him, and there's just gonna be a brawl, and it's just, I said, guys, stop, stop. And what happens in that moment? Part of you is like, oh, this is ridiculous. And part of you, just as a parent, as a friend, maybe you've been in a situation where you have good friends that are dating and they break up and then they come to you wanting you to be on their side, and it just grieves you. You're sad. You're impacted by the break of relationship. And in this section here, we see the grief of the Holy Spirit is he's grieved in the break of relationship. And look what I mean by this. If you look at the passage right before, right after, look what it's talking about in context. Right above it says, let no corrupting talk come out of you, but build up. Right afterwards it talks about, put away certain behaviors and be kind to one another. The Holy Spirit's role is to continue to cause holiness in us, to build in these attributes that we see explained here. And when those things don't happen and instead we turn on one another and And say things that are evil, and we bicker with one another, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Because his whole role as a part of the Trinity is to work those attributes into us. Now, we often miss the next part of the verse because we're so curious what grieve the Holy Spirit means. But look at the end of the verse. This is an incredible reassurance. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Some people wonder, can I do something to the Holy Spirit that doesn't let me be saved again? Or do I lose my salvation? No, 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 none of that's in the context. None of that's in view here. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Goes back to chapter one of Ephesians and remind us, the Holy Spirit is put in us as a seal. God initiates and places him in us. And so there is is no getting out from underneath that. The Holy Spirit is there to convict and work and be and is there with us till the day of redemption. We are sealed. It is a confidence that we walk as Christians in new life. The Holy Spirit is there. And yet the motivation for us in that, he's saying, as you're living this out, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's there to walk alongside and help, not to judge, condemn, push out, but he's grieved because he's deeply invested into our relationship. It's a beautiful passage. You are sealed for the day of redemption. Sealed. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger Clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Forgive, 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 Christian. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Jesus held up a ridiculously high standard of obedience, and yet. He excessively loved those who fell short of it. Let us go and do likewise. If you've sinned in anger and done damage, today's a day to find repentance, find a healthy outlet for that, to be in a place where you repent. And then with these members among us, let us encourage one another, speak honestly to one another. We can deceive ourselves, but we wanna look to Jesus for clarity Looked to Jesus for clarity. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Only the gospel gets rid of the old and puts us in the new. The gospel is what reminds us of where we're at in the new, gives us a humility to live in a way that forgives others. Be reminded of the gospel, whether for the 50th time or now for the, the first time. In Romans, you've heard it time and time again. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To move from death to life, from futility of thinking into basing our lives on Jesus. From being deceived by our desires to going, God, what would you have me do? Let my desires be shaped by you in the new creation of what Christ has made me to be. So let us not try to just avoid sin. That's not what Christian life's about. But instead, courageously pursue Christ to bring holiness front and center and encourage one another that way. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for so many different pieces in this passage here that can push into different hearts, parts of our heart. Ultimately, God, I pray that that we be reminded of the goodness of the gospel, that it's because of you and you initiating, God, that, that we find ourselves in new life as new creation. God, with changed desires, would you continue to change our desires, align them with you, that we wouldn't be deceived, but we be marked by a holiness in our lives, being shaped by Jesus. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.